Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Our next guest comes all the way from New York City and has been in the leather kink community for 15 years. They describe themselves as a coach, healer, educator, lifestyle, and professional dominant, whose mission is to not only facilitate spiritual growth, but to also work towards normalizing non-traditional sexual behavior. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have a very special guest, Master Joshua. Hi, Master Joshua. Hello, hello. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me on today, Brandon. Absolutely. For our audience members who may not be familiar with you, uh, would you mind introducing yourself, please? So, my name is Joshua. I'm uh, based out of New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am known as Master Joshua in the kink and leather community. Uh, I, uh, I'm 42. Uh, I'm, I'm male. I identify as a leather sexual, and I will be more than happy to get into what that means. Pansexual would be the closest understanding to the way I connect sexually. Um, I've been in the leather and kink community for well over almost 15 years, and I don't have any leather titles. I never got into the circuit of of titles. Um, Regarding roles, here in New York, I started out in the kink community. It was the pansexual kink community, and what I first noticed is the community segregated, right? Mm-hmm. You have the pansexual community, you have the gay community, and you have the queer community. And they f- operate on just three different solar systems. And I never fit into any of those communities in particular, right? When I would go to the pansexual community uh, parties, if I went with a male partner, I was looked at sideways, mm. right? If I was in a gay bar or, or a gay event, and they found out I was not strictly gay, I, I'm not gay enough. You know, it's like, uh, in the queer community, I present too heteronormative to have been accepted when I first ventured into that, into that area. And it was really isolating. So what ended up happening is I started hosting my own events. And my own events were catered to those who were looking to connect through BDSM, regardless of gender or orientation. And... I, d- I invested a lot of time into that, mm-hmm. in turn creating a leadership role for those who didn't want to box themselves into specific communities, but to share openly. That led to me teaching a lot of teaching roles. Uh, I was a member of a leather organization as their pledge master for a period of time. I have taken numerous mentorship roles. And in New York City, there's, there's a network of event promoters and leadership boards that are intertwined not tightly but there's connections in between and uh it's something i'm I'm recognized on that level to be able to pass information and share knowledge with others on that level okay awesome awesome well i'm definitely going to pick your brain a little bit more about your whole experience and like the segregation of the communities and um really quick before i like dive into the deepest of your 
brain here about it. Uh, have you seen changes in that over the years from when you first oh, came? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, when I first started, I mean, there was hard lines. It was very archaic. And thankfully, there's others who are out there who are willing to push their own boundaries and explore other areas, right? What, okay. I, what I noticed in New York City, and this is not the norm across the country. This is solely New York City. Uh, education is heavily present in the pansexual community. It's become heavily present in the queer community, and it's starting to gain ground in the gay community in New York City. Representation at all the events that I've attended mm -hmm. uh, has become uh, more common, right? Where increasingly more representation for marginalized groups beyond the cishet. And it's inspiring because there's a lot of knowledge out there. And it's important that we see that we're not our orientation. We're not, right. we identify too much with our orientation. We, we totally miss the opportunity to learn and experience things on a personal level that doesn't, isn't driven by what genitalia we have or who we stick it in. Right? Okay. It's, like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's much grander than that. Right, right. Yeah, I wonder how much of that has to do with like the fact that like, the whole gay leather scene for the longest time was like underground in the shadows. And I don't know, do you have any insights on that? Like why that might be? Uh, shame. Mm. Shame and selfishness. Shame in the fact that once we categorize ourselves with orientation, we neglect the opportunities to connect with someone that isn't of the same orientation. Mm -hmm. In turn, missing something that, get, that could be extremely life-changing, all for the sake of our comfort zone and our sexual orientation. Working past that is, is detrimental for one's growth, right? To say, to not, again, to not lead with the desires that we can instantly gratify, but understand that the connection is what is going to bring that experience tenfold over what we could imagine it to be if we just casually hook up with people. Right. right? Um, changing the culture around how we approach this will also help with that. You know, how many, how many men do you know venture out into the lifestyle hoping to connect and while they are having the experiences a lot of them are transient experiences mm -hmm. and they're left empty you know and they're yeah. wondering what that what that space is and how do we fill it right and it it's not necessarily through the quick hookups right because right. we feel alone right we feel like we want to be seen and heard not just for our bodies but for the things we want to feel with mm -hmm. these people right so that's how, that's how I feel about, about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I mean, at least for me, I guess I can't speak for anybody else, but, like, coming into, like, the leather scene, for me, it was very clear from the get-go, like, even just stumbling into the Eagle for the first time, that there was, like, a whole community of people. Like, if I just wanted to wear leather at home and get spanked and that's it, then I would have never stepped foot into the whole community. But when you look and you realize, like, there's this whole group of people out there and it's something that you want to be a part of, you know, and then that then, like you said, like you encounter different walls or different obstacles within this, you know, community or, or even like complete hard lines between like communities like this. So let me let me ask you a question. Sure. What are you gaining from the community? What am I gaining from the community? So yeah. I'm going to rephrase that. I'm going to okay. rephrase that. When you say you want to be part of this Describe that to me. Well, I'll tell you my first impression of it, and then I'll tell you mm -hmm. where I am today. So 
my first impression was like a, a, a okay. So when I first walked, came into the the Eagle, I was actually drunk because um, <laughs> I was like, I'm not driving home. I'm just going to go into this this bar. So I did, and I was like, I'll have a soda. And I had come from I don't know if you've been to LA very much, but. Okay, so, you know, I had come from, like, the West Hollywood area. I was hanging out with some friends. And, you know, I was in, like, my tight skinny jeans and, like, a preppy boy, like, T-shirt or whatever, or, like, a button-up shirt. <laughs> and I walk in, and there was – everybody was, like, packed. And it everyone was in leather and gear. And I just remember seeing this whole, like, island of people that – it was it was sort of like I was in West Hollywood now, but it was like the dark and dirty version. Like I was like, oh, a side of the of the gay community exists where I don't have to like dress like this. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I just thought that this was like yeah. how you did it, how you did gay, and, <laughs> and and then I was like, shit, like this really turns me on. And when I yes. put, you know, maybe four or five days later, I had gone to San Francisco, picked up my first harness at Mister S. And when I put that harness on, all of those feelings came back. And when I went back to the Eagle, I realized that there was like camaraderie on top of it. It wasn't just like some kind of like, I mean, yeah, it's it's there because of sex. But like when I walked in there and I realized there was groups of people hanging out, having a good time, talking with each other. And then there was like a fundraiser going up there on the, you know, on the stage. They were having a con. And I was like, Wow this is something that I want to be a part of, you know? And I never yes. saw that at the Abbey or the Mickey's or whatever. I, For me, I always felt like I had to put on a face to go into those spaces. And for the first time, I didn't feel like I had to be anything else but myself. And on top of that, my like, rawest, primal, most sexual self that I could just <laughs> never be outside, you know? <laughs> that's And that's the excitement, right? That ability yeah. to to express yourself openly yeah right and that and that's where and that's where we started right is the freedom of expression right i'm going this is who we are yeah that's beautiful and how has and how has that progressed (laughs) Uh, well (laughs) i bet i was bobbing around for maybe a few years just kind of minding my own business and striking up conversations i would say i've met some of my best friends bobbing around the community not many like i I didn't like get gain a whole number but a handful and when you know this last year when i decided oh let's run for the title i realized that there's other people out there like that just bobbing around the community and searching for you know some sort of belonging anyways this whole last year has been here in my office so (laughs) yeah i mean I, i would say i've had a good experience there are some obstacles that i ran into some red tape, some cancel culture, which I didn't realize existed in this community of rebels. Oh, it's, um, it's very prevalent. So uh, that <clears throat> took me as a surprise. And I mean, we can get into a whole episode of cancel culture later. But <laughs> I, I just I think that cancel culture doesn't always provide a path of accountability, of holding someone accountable. And I feel like it's important that if we are going to, you know, quote unquote, hold people accountable, we give them a path to do so and where they can actually learn and grow from it. Otherwise, if there's no productivity, like, nothing's happening. Nothing's no happening. Growth. Yeah, there's no growth. Anyways, that's my two cents about <laughs> it. 
I don't want to get into it. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I, I believe me, I, I understand. <laughs> but anyways, okay. Before this turns into an interview of me, I was going to stop. I'm going to stop. Because <laughs> I get curious, right? It's like, yeah. I, I want to know where you're looking from. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, you know, perspective is everything. Fantastic. Yeah. And that's part of why we're doing this. Because I want to hear your perspective. But I do want to know where you came from. So you are the young age of 49, you say? 40, 42. 40, oh, 42. Okay, you are the young age of 42. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're looking at each other on FaceTime right now. He's fixing his <laughs> he, mustache. He totally shamed me yeah. now. He's my grace. <laughs> well, I, I want to know kind of your... I always have sort of like a coming out or origin story. And I mean, have did do you have some kind of coming out where you came out to family or friends or where you found out? Like, when was the first time you found out that you were something other than straight? So, um, well, I mean, we can go back to when I was four or five playing house with the neighbors, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And there was a uh, arousal in, in that, you know, but we're kids and we're exploring and... Uh, no bells or whistles ever went off because my mind wasn't there at that age. Luckily, I grew up in a household that wasn't judgmental uh, and openly supportive of gay family members. And I only say gay because in the 80s and the 90s, through my growth, this is I, my only exposure was to gay family members. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any lesbian family members or any trans family. So that was my exposure to it. But it wasn't a thing either, right? There wasn't the yeah. judgment of from my immediate family. Now, my external family, extended family, you know, I'm also Latino, right? So okay. we come with the religious culture and baggage, right? So uh, you're dealing with machismo, you're dealing with orientation, uh, God, you know, and yeah. death and hell and all that stuff from, from the extended family. So there was always that. So their judgment didn't impact me directly because my family made sure that we had the space to exist. Mm-hmm. As I got older, in my mid-teens, I was started going through Times Square. And this is in the early 90s. Wait, so did you grow up in New York? Yeah, I was born in Miami okay. and I grew up in, in New York. Okay, New York got it. Uh, I grew up in East Harlem, mostly. Uh, I had some time in, in Washington Heights and I had some time in Hell's Kitchen afterwards, but most of my time was in East Harlem. So I started going out late and I'd watch these double features, two for six bucks was the steal. And on my way back, I would meet escorts or prostitutes on the, on the street who were trans. And I would sit and I would talk with them, right? And I would connect with them. And through these connections, emotions develop, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, desires, not for their orientation or them being trans but who they were in front of me and there was a little i can't say conflict right of what society had deemed for me or what i had i guess expected of myself to be straight to be connected to these trans women and desire them and to me they were women mm-hmm. right um i had a counselor in high school that they, he was like, he was the cool counselor. And we spoke, they were the drugs, the drugs counselor. So, uh, you know, they always had the condoms and stuff there. And I would go in and I'd talk to him. He was a Christian, a really, really involved Christian. And uh, I remember speaking to him about this. 
and I was scared, right? I'm, I'm talking to him about what society looks at as abnormal. And the conflict that he had experienced in that transaction, in that communication was, was scary for me because he wasn't accepting of it. He was judging of it. But you could see the conflict because he was my counselor and we were friendly, very friendly. Like, mm-hmm. that was a... Uh, that was my first experience speaking to someone about my gender orient, my sexual orientation, or my questions around it. So you, did you specifically come out to that counselor, or did you, were you just speaking about your experiences in that kind of queer space? I, I would say, I would say both. Okay. You know, uh, I think I was looking for safety in the acknowledgement of that connection. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was, I was hoping, I was waiting for someone to tell me it's okay. And you didn't get that. And I didn't get that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, this, is, this is actually my first time talking about this. Wow. This directly, right? This uh, it's clearly about it. Because it's always sat in my head. And I've, because of that, I chose how I spoke about my connections to people. So, I mean, how did you, like, how did you get to where you are today from that point? I mean, were you not at that point like, uh, maybe, maybe this isn't okay. Like, even my counselor is talking about it. No, no, no. Luckily, luckily I felt, I knew where I stood. Mm -hmm. I just needed validation. I needed affirmation that it was okay, right? That I can tell someone and I can tell someone. And it it didn't happen. So I continued, right? Because this felt right. right? These connections felt right. The the emotions that I've developed for these people felt right. But there was still a little shame behind it because it was never affirmed. Internalized shame. Not something that I ever spoke about or acted on or prevented myself from moving forward. Mm -hmm. But I remembered that. And that's enough. Yeah. Right. That uh, that I that I've kept that in my pocket. Would you say today that you are shame free, or are there any elements? No, of no, shame? no. I'm there. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. I don't. I there's there's still. I think for anyone to get to that point would be bliss. Right. That's nirvana. Right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, one thing that I'm working through is I enjoy dressing in a more feminine expression Mm -hmm. and in that it's very empowering for me did you ever did you see any pictures did you see the pictures on instagram i saw lots of pictures on instagram i don't think i saw any of you explicitly wearing anything feminine oh yeah yeah when you when you scroll through the master joshua page Mm -hmm. there's uh you'll see (laughs) and uh one of the things i'm working through is wanting to walk outside and be that when i'm outdoors as myself, right? I don't do it as something I'm going to do on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. right? It's something that I identify with and helps me feel strong, confident, and beautiful and sexy, right? It's still hard for me to dress up and walk out the door like that. So, okay, a couple questions here. Uh, when did you discover that you like to be, like, dress up more feminine? And uh, did, were you, did you when always feel this way? Really? When I was young, yeah. Okay. Four or five years old, I would I would feel my aunt's nylons, and it would excite me. But I also wanted to feel that expression. What what uh, when I finally had the courage to do it, 
two years ago, three years ago. Uh, a friend of mine by the name oh, of wait. Phil. Oh, wait. I guess I just never... I'm sorry. I'm scrolling through your Instagram. <laughs> I guess I just thought that was somebody else. But this is you. Okay. Yes. Well, you do really well at... Um, you look like a whole different person. Is that yeah, you? that's me. Wow. Okay, that's... I did see. I thought that was somebody else. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Sorry. Continue. So, I enjoyed it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, the idea, the idea, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. I thought about it as a child. And I had Phil, who's a, a friend of mine who does drag performance. And he's so beautiful. Like, he looks like uh, Scarlett Johansson okay. when he dresses. Like, drop-dead gorgeous. Wow. Now, him and I connected at, uh, at a bar here in New York City doing a movie shoot uh, where I flogged him an hour and a half out of two hours scene <laughs> it was incredible so anyway he was really close to me i love him he's a brother to me there's a photographer that i work with pretty regularly uh who was interested in documenting that experience and then there was another friend of mine who is a makeup artist mm -hmm. and there came a point when i had or my shame was smaller than my desire hmm. my shame finally shrunk enough that my desire allowed me to move on this because I had the support of loved ones around me. I was scared, right? Yeah. Um, I, I was afraid uh, for 40 years to do this. So the day comes and Mitch is taking care of me and Phil is my inspiration. Phil asked me, he goes, tell me about your inner diva. I don't have an inner diva, dude. It's like, I don't... I hate Broadway shows. Like, I don't listen to <laughs> musicals and then none of that. I don't think about it. We them. all like, have an inner diva. <laughs> so what he showed me, he showed me a clip of Bugs Bunny coming out of the ground in drag mm -hmm. from the old cartoons. And a light bulb went off. That image, that gif that he sent me, when Bugs Bunny would come up dressed that way, he was so powerful. Right. He was a showstopper. Everything stopped. Yeah. And there was power behind that. And the way he walked was so confidently. And the way she was represented on screen was intoxicating. It was like, I want to know what that feels like. Yeah. And that was my motivation to feel it. Like, that's what I wanted to feel. Uh, so when the time came to shop for the clothing i went with a partner of mine and a girlfriend of mine okay and um we went to rainbow which is like a budget sexy store now is this fairly recently this is two years ago okay two to three years ago and uh we went in there and we're looking at clothes and they're picking up items that they would want to see me in and none of this shit is ringing to me none of it's speaking to me right because i'm not dressing up saturday nights Right? I'm going to express myself in a way I've had inside of me for 40 years. And I ended up at New York and Company, something much more conservative than Rainbow. And I found the clothes that really spoke to me. And it was very empowering, very eye-opening to, to understand that gender as a construct is pointless. Aside from science, medicine, there's no need to why we should be able to express ourselves however we see fit. Yeah. Whatever, whichever way empowers us, that helps us walk taller, 
with our head up and feeling strong. Yeah. Right. I, it was mind blowing. It, my entire perspective changed on gender in that moment. Uh, when I sat down for the process, I was surrounded by people who loved me and I was deathly afraid. I was scared. The mirrors were blocked. The window was blocked and a mirror was blocked. And I was afraid. I was embarrassed. And I was angry with myself for feeling that way. The process took about two to three hours. About 45 minutes I sat there fighting with myself and angry with myself for feeling that way because there's people out there that do this every day without the support and because they have to. Yeah. And I'm sitting in this fucking chair embarrassed and I'm angry at myself for being embarrassed because this isn't a choice for a lot of people. Yeah. So that helped me get through that hump of fear. I couldn't own that if other people are are doing it much worse. Do you remember the moment that like the cover came off the mirror and you saw yourself like this Ooh. for the first time? Yeah. I was blown like breath taken away. I saw myself out the corner of my eye out of a window of reflection and I looked and I was so beautiful and I felt so sexy. It was it was it wasn't a sexual energy but it was a it was like an inner goddess oh my god you're making me cry stop <laughs> this <laughs> sorry keep going <laughs> no no it uh it was really intense uh it was what i needed to feel yeah it was what i thought was inside the whole time now the hard part with that is now for me is to live that openly right i grew up fighting a lot for identity, right? If you look at me, I'm very fair skinned, mm -hmm. right? I'm too white to be Latino, to be acknowledged by my people. I'm not white, so I'm not acknowledged by the white community. Welcome right? to the club. Every I hate it when people are like, you're not Mexican. I'm like, yes, I am. Have you ever seen that scene from Selena where he's like, you're not a Mexican enough for the Mexicans. You're not American enough for the Americans. I didn't even know I was in that movie. It is. It's been a struggle of my forever, right? Yeah. There's an identity and I didn't realize how messed up it is until the last couple of years. Yeah. We have no one to identify with. Mm -hmm. Right. My, I have no culture because I wasn't allowed or received by my culture. I grew up in a black neighborhood as a light skinned Latino who's not accepted by anybody. Right? right. So I've always been fighting for identity. Add on top of a desire to express myself in an open gender format, however I choose to. Right. There's just so many twists and turns to trying to understand who I am and accept myself. Yeah. Right. That uh, it's tough. So, yeah, there's shame. <laughs> so, I'm curious to know. I mean, I love to answer your question. Yes. <laughs> Five hours later. No, I love it. <laughs> no, I mean, thank you for taking us on that journey with you. But I, I, I'm curious to know, like, so have you never then stepped foot outside of a building? No, I have. You have. I have. Okay. I have two events. I have. Uh, I have when there was reason to do it, uh, and that's where the shame covers, buffers me. Right. That's where I, I have that freedom to do it. Because you have an intention. It's not like it, you're just. Right? It's, yeah. I don't. I. 
I got, I got into a lot of fights, right? There was, a, I've, I've gotten into so many fights because of the color of my skin, because of where I lived, because of my height. You know, I'm 5'5". Five five, I'm not the biggest dude on the block. I had to fight a lot, right? So when I dress this way, if I feel conflict against my identity, it's going to get physical. Mm-hmm. And I don't take judgment lightly. So my defense for my fear would be aggression. And I don't want to put myself in that position. Right. But that's my fear. That's in my head, right? Because, again, there's people out there doing this every day, and they have no choice. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's like, I need to move past that. And, I, and I, I'm working on it. Right? I'm working on it. I'm, I, I, I want to update with you later whenever you end up, you know, kind of just going out for the sake of going out and being that part of yourself, because I'm curious to know if the public would treat you any differently or if you would notice any subtleties in how people communicate with you out in the real world. When uh, like I've been to I went to a bar before going to an event like I've been on the very fringes of being outside. Mm-hmm. And the way it's it's all in my head, and I know it is, and I'm I just can't get past it. The people received me well. No one looked at me sideways. This is New York City. If there's a place to do it, this is the place to do it. Right. I have no idea. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's really empowering to hear that, you know, someone who has been in the Leather King scene for 15 years, who has, lives in New York City, for God's sakes, has struggles like this. It gives the rest of us all permission to have the same struggles, you know. And I'm sure there's plenty of listeners sitting at home right now going through that same thing. And, you know, they're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... it's uh finding finding the support network right the community that you're looking for are the people that will hold your hands and make the space for you to do it yeah uh, i'm thankful for for having it uh but you know it's 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 at our pace right no one no one can tell you that you're moving too slow right absolutely let's talk about your sexuality for a little bit i'm curious to know if you remember what your first sexual experience was and also if you can go a little bit more into what you mean as identifying as a leather sexual absolutely so my first sexual experience right i lost my virginity at 12 okay but that was a uh... your right hand doesn't count master joshua <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, i discovered masturbation using a shower head around seven or eight oh, okay uh, <laughs> And then there was the neighbors and playing doctor in house when I was much younger. Mm-hmm. But when I had first had sex, it was with a girl. Uh, I was 12 and she was 15. I was in junior high school, and this is in the early 90s. And the pressures, societal pressures, right? What constituted manliness was sex. How many partners? How, how, how much sex can you have constitutes your manhood? Right. right. And, you know, every fucking kid wants to be a man, right? So I was, I allowed that to to steer me mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of my earlier years. It was addicting. 
it was their validation came with it, right? Validation of masculinity, of my manliness. But I was dumb. You know, what do I know about sex at 12? Right. So fast forward, well, fast forward to about 17 with uh, one of the trans women that I, I had met out in Times Square. We had sex. Mm-hmm. And by the time from 12 to 16 or 17, those four or five years, I was having a lot of sex with my partner, with my then girlfriend. So the act of sex became, I knew it, right? It was, I, I know how to have sex, right? This goes inside yeah. of here, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is how you put a condom on, right? But when I was with the other woman, I didn't feel embarrassed and I didn't feel afraid. I felt drawn. I mm. felt desire. I felt curiosity. And it was the curiosity to explore someone else's body. Right? I wasn't thinking penis, vagina, ass, you know, none of that. None of that came to mind, but what this entire experience is going to be because in my mind it is a notch on a belt. But there's an openness that I'm sharing with this person that feels right and it feels good through the years between the desire to have more partners because that's the thing to do mm-hmm. and enjoying the experiences uh sex became an addiction right now some people believe in sex addiction some people don't uh okay wait hold on wait just one. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i just i quick question before we go there uh so would you say that your sexual experiences with your girlfriend and when you were 12 and everything were driven mostly by validation versus when you had a sex with uh, this person? Oh, 100%. It was more for your sexual well, desires. Well, uh, the, or... the sex I was having at 12, one, it felt good, but two, that again, that constituted manliness. That was mm-hmm. that defined me. So, you know, the more I'm doing it, the the more of a man I am, right? And it's like... And, right. and I was enjoying it. And I had the bragging rights, you know. Fucking 12 years old, bragging rights to sex, right? I would punch myself in the face now. I, but, uh... I didn't even know what sex was. I remember <laughs> someone told me when I was 12, I was like, shut up. That does not happen. Like, people don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, okay, let's talk about sex addiction because I've, I've talked thoroughly with it. I have a therapist and a, a group therapy of, of all homosexual men. And we've talked about where's the line between I'm a sexual person versus I have a sex addiction. I see. I talk. I talk about that a lot because it's, there's nothing wrong with having a sex drive, mm-hmm. right? And sex drive is incredible. Having a good sex drive is incredible. Sex addiction is when you start doing dumb shit that it ruins your life. Okay. STDs, financially. I'm sorry. Health, financials, family, housing, right? Once those start getting affected, right? Once you start spending money because you need to do certain things or certain ways with certain people or you're traveling for sex when you're you're investing more than you can afford to pay your rent so it's getting in the way of your your daily life basically yeah yeah you know calling in sick so that you can go hook up with people and doing this habitually to where Mm -hmm. now you're trying to dodge out and make time during lunch and you're sneaking around and doing things that negatively impact your life impact your life but 
severely negatively impact your life. Mm-hmm. To say I like sex and I like to fuck a lot, if there's an empty feeling that comes after that, right? Because that happens a lot too, right? They need to do some soul searching. Yeah. What am I looking to feel? That's different than I need to hook up now, right? It's, it's, I just, I can't be by myself. Sex brings me instant gratification. My chemicals go off. I get a high and then I'm down again. Mm, I right? see. And, you're using it like a drug. You're, you're using it like a drug. Exactly. How interesting. And unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm good, bad, or indifferent. This is how the gay culture started. Mm-hmm. Right? Gratuitous sex. Fuck political correctness. I'm a gay man. I'm going to have as much sex with everyone as uh, Fuck you. You can't tell me otherwise. That was cool 40, 50 years ago. But now these men don't have relationships that are lasting. They don't know how to build relationships because we spent 30 years fucking. Right? So now, how do I feel? And how do I convey that with the person in front of me? And how do I connect with someone beyond sex? And what if my body shape starts to not look so hot, right? And, and what if, and what if, and what if, and all this shit piles on, and then men don't know how to genuinely connect. Hmm. Because we were leading with our dicks, right? Because we were within our right, absolutely. But at a point, we have to say, well, who am I? Yeah. What am I looking to experience in these connections? Right? It's, and it's not sex. It's intimacy. It's mm-hmm. love. It's acknowledgement. It's validation. It's, it's okay to want to be coddled and cuddled and pet on your fucking head like a puppy. Or it's okay if, if you want to be flogged and spanked and, and spit on, you know. But I respect you and I see you and we can share so much more than just that. Right. right? Because there's emotions that are involved with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I like to be flogged. So what? Who doesn't like to be flogged? 90% of the people like to be flogged. How do you want to feel with the person who's flogging you? Mm-hmm. Right? That, those are the communication skills that we have to develop as men so that we can start expressing ourselves and being able to, to communicate how we want to feel with, you, with each other. Right, I want to feel safe. What does safe feel like? And how does how does one earn or gain trust and safety? Right? Are you in a committed relationship at this point? I am in a poly relationship. Okay. Uh, now, are do you still consider yourself a sex addict? Are you getting like spiritual, emotional fulfillment from that so, relationship? Sex addiction was very powerful over me from my teens into my early mid 20s mm-hmm. early to mid 20s i think early 20s but we'll say mid 20s okay when i turned down the first i said no to a sexual partner someone tried to hook up with me and i told them no and it was a woman and for me to tell a woman no for sex i felt something change in me i felt in control i felt like i had choice no i felt in control mm-hmm I felt like, wait a second, there's something more here than just the motions of it. Right. And that was my first hint of power exchange. Because up until that point, like, it was 12-year-old you thinking, of course I'm going to have sex with them. Why wouldn't yes. I? Yes, actually, that's a really good way to put it. Absolutely, 100%. So from that point on, uh, my sexual curiosities, they had always been, I had always been 
into trying to see what the body does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I ventured into BDSM, and when I ventured into BDSM is when I started to understand relationship and my what I'm bringing to these connections. By that point, sex was more of a tool as opposed to an addiction. But I still used it, right? I wielded it now as opposed to it wielding me. Mm. So there still was, I still wanted to, actually, when, when I turned that person down that time, that first time, is when it shifted from addiction to a weapon, right? I can, now I can use this how, how I, I don't want to say a tool. Let's say a tool. Weapon sounds bad. Now, did you fall back into that ever? Or did you feel like you could kind of click into that headspace at that point whenever you felt? No, it, it, it lost. It didn't have as much power from that point on. I see. Uh, I had a total shift in perspective uh, from that from that point on. So something just clicked to where you were now, like you say, you have a different perspective. It wasn't like you were standing in the same place and trying to flip on and off switches. You actually had like a new view of your yes. sex life. Yeah. And that, that happened in my mid-20s, okay. mid, middle to late 20s. So what about identifying as leather sexual? What does that mean exactly? So I was in Pride, in the Pride March in Palm Springs, not last year but the year before, pre-COVID. And I'm standing at the back. I, I was out there for Pride. And when I was out there, they have their festival, which is incredible. I love uh, Palm Springs Pride Festival. And have you been? Mm-mm, All right, so the way they have it, imagine you have a mile-long stretch for the parade, for the march. And then at the end of the march, there's a street fair that goes for a half a mile. Okay. And there's lined with vendors. And in the middle of that half mile, there's an intersection and that comes out another half mile with more vendors in a concert. Concert stages, it's really awesome. So we got there on Thursday, Friday, walking through, and I came across this gentleman who was flagging at one of the, at one of the stages. And I'm like, I used to do this when I worked at Club Montage in San Diego in 98, 99. So it's like, is flagging like go-go dancing with flags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Right, so... I'm like, man, I haven't done this in forever. How cool is that? Right? So I walk over to the guy, and I told, I was there with a leather brother of mine, Tom, and I said, hey, can I see those? I haven't flagged in 20 years. Do you mind? And he says, sure. And he gave them to me. It was like riding a fucking bike. And I was taken back 20 years ago in montage, and it felt incredible. So we spoke for a few minutes, and the guy says, hey, we're doing it. We're meeting at the park tomorrow. If you want to come, you know, come in and hang out and see what it was about. So sure as shit, next day I went to the park and there was a big group of them of like 30 or 40. And uh, I make my way and I start meeting these guys. And I met the same guy and he let me borrow another set of flags. And they had these community flags and I was playing with them, uh, having a really good time. They had a DJ there and all. It was fantastic. So a few minutes in, I go to the community flags and I'm looking around and I speak with the gentleman who orchestrated the uh, or the gathering and uh he's showing me the different flags and he finds he pulls up these two leather flags leather flag flags like actual made leather of leather pride flags yeah no 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 they're, they're like you know the oh the, the leather pride flags. flags the leather pride okay flags. i got it <laughs> so he he looks at them he says here have them and i was like oh my god it was so beautiful i started crying and it was like it was incredible because mm. it was like 
I was back there again. So I hung out and I played and I danced. And uh, at the end of it, they asked me to march with them the next day. So I'm like, fuck yes, absolutely I'll do it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I get there and there's three shoots. There's three lanes, one, two, and three, right? And one, the first one's one through 50, and the second one's 50, one through 100, and, and the uh, third one's 101 to 150. So I'm in the middle lane, and the first shoot goes, and I'm looking, and I'm seeing all these flags, and I'm watching all the pride, and everyone's having a fucking wonderful time expressing themselves and being seen for who they are and how they identify. And as I stood there, I asked myself, what's important for me in my relationships? Because it's not gender. Right? And I can't identify as pansexual because that's too broad of a scope. Mm-hmm. Demisexual is when, you know, you're co- connected with their brain, right? Yeah, right. it's cute. And now we're getting to the fucking nitty gritty. What's important for me is what's your approach to connection, right? And when you get into the leather lifestyle and you start looking into the foundations of what this lifestyle is about, right? How do we truly embrace what this lifestyle is about? It's integrity. Mm. It's open and honest communication. It's open heart listening, right? It's no judgment, right? Seeing the person for who they are, not for what they are. That's what matters to me, mm-hmm. is the foundation. If you, if you live this way, you're beautiful to me because you're a beautiful person, right? Not, we all have our good, day, good days and bad days, but if it comes from your heart, right? It's not coming from specific desires or checklists that we want our person to look like right and if i can see you that way if i can connect with you that way i'll love you forever and i do right and that's why i'm fucking poly because i I love everyone and i invest myself into the people who i see that way and my heart is i'm not here for a person Mm -hmm. right i'm here to share my experiences with the people i love my my purpose here is to connect and help people, to help heal. So it's like I want to share with people who see and value things the same way as I do. It's really interesting. I have a question that I want to ask you about about this. Um, but first, I want to know: Did you always consider yourself polyamorous, or is that a recent discovery? No. Um, and now the thing about poly, right? A lot of people throw the word around loosely. Mm-hmm. Poly, because you like you like to have sex with a lot of people, and you're openly dating people. That's not poly. That's fucking dating people and having sex, right? Poly is when you start emo- investing in emotions and time and life decision making into these relationships, mm-hmm. right? When there's actual repercussions from doing something or changing something in your life that's going to affect another person. Right. Right. Uh, my problem is I was a non-ethical, I was a cheater, right, for years because poly wasn't a thing. Openness wasn't a thing. When the shift in, when one, when they came to light, right, that these things were things and that there are people out there and it is possible if we can break the norm, work has to go into that shit too, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not, oh, let's... You're together, I'm together, we're together, so let's just be together. It's just not that easy, you know, because there's time investment, there's priorities, there's not only 
priorities between the relationships, but life priorities, right? What if I have to work and it's going to take time away from this one? How do I balance that so that this one's not feeling bad? And how do I not manage the emotions on top of that? Right? I just, <laughs> I, I find it so interesting, your growth from sexual addiction to identifying as leather sexual, where you hold integrity to a high uh, priority, because that's like a total different shift. And what's so interesting is like, I think you identifying as leather sexual is kind of perfect because integrity being one of like the highest priorities of leather, you know, I mean, so people say, I mean, how does that look in practical well, application? Well, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, listen, it sounds good. Integrity. Oh, yeah. yeah. How hard is it not to lie? It's not even about lying. Right. It's just about being truthful. Mm -hmm. Right. Integrity. I am not truthful with myself. I'm truthful with myself that I don't have the courage to walk out there. But that's lying to myself because I can. Mm -hmm. Right? There's there's little nuances of integrity that, that we think that integrity just means to lie or to not lie. There's so much more. That shit's so fine into the way we live. It really, defined, it really defines where do we really stand on that line of integrity. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. I'm finding that that out more and more. How, you know, how how does that look like in our everyday life, and how is it expressed? You know, but when you when you walk into leather space or you or you begin to learn more about leather, you always hear that word thrown around, and at some point it loses its meaning unless it's actually lived out. And if you take a step back and you listen to all the drama in said community, right? That's a big spotlight on integrity itself. Yeah. Yes. Preach at the cancel culture. <laughs> we can go back to the cancel culture. <laughs> it's, 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 it's tough, right? Yeah. I've, I've been victim to that shit too. Uh, or, or attempted because if you walk that line, mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about a fucking thing. And that's the, also the good thing about integrity is if you walk the line, no one can ever question you on it because I have all the receipts Look at it. Everything's yeah. right here in plain sight for everyone to see. And that's also the issue with being a, a leader in the community is you yeah. are held to a higher standard, right, by nobodies who, who will judge you and cast stones at you because you're a fucking human being. Well, I just think it's interesting <laughs> that because I found this out, like, in quarantine, like, oh, well, <laughs> like, you have a leather title, therefore, higher standard, right? Well, I, I had uh, done an episode with somebody, or it had come out that I was doing an episode with somebody that not a lot of people liked. <laughs> it's like, look, I'm not responsible for your feelings. Like, I'm just here to produce something that is my vision for the community. And you know what? Like, a couple of people's minds were not changed, but one or two people reached out to me right after that episode released and said, wow, I had no idea this person's story. I have a whole new respect for them now. I had no idea where they came from. And I'm like... And that's the thing. And I, you know, I'm, let me say thank you for that because you gave this person an opportunity to talk, mm -hmm. right? And when you're on this pedestal, right? Uh, the pedestal of a community, one that doesn't even exist, right? Because what are we, what are we building towards? Mm -hmm. Okay, we can hang out in a bar together, look at us all together. Now what? And, and, I, and I applaud the fundraisers. I will never knock the fundraisers or the organizations that make the fundraisers. But what are we building for if we're secretly judging each other and we're body shaming each other in the same house that we're supposed to have full acceptance? Right. right. And that happens all the time. And the racism, 
right? And the gender phobia and the transphobia and the orientation phobia and the ageism and, and the ableism. And it's all right there because everyone's still fucking normal because just because we have the knowledge of being able to dress up doesn't mean we're living the fucking code of being a nice person. Right, exactly. Because it's not difficult. Don't be a dick. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? One of the five tenants of leather. Don't be a dick. Right? Don't be a dick. <laughs> Call me Master Joshua. <laughs> I have this running joke that I'm going to make coasters, and on every coaster will be a picture of the guest of one of the show with a quote. And yours will just say, "Don't be a dick." Don't be a dick. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and end our part one with Master Joshua for today. If you found this conversation interesting, then make sure to tune in next week for part two. As always, if you or anyone you know is in need of assistance and is here in the Los Angeles area, I will have links in the description below for the LELC Cares and Bullet Bar Pantry. The LELC Cares mission has been to be an aid to the community during times of crisis, especially throughout this last year with COVID-19. Under the umbrella of the LELC Cares, there is a helping hand, a lifeline, and of course, the Bullet Bar Pantry. Do make sure to join us for our weekly Zoom parties on Tuesday nights where we live stream the podcast as well as have an open discussion with a guest of the show each week. As we begin to come out of quarantine, these Zoom meetings may become less frequent, so if you always wanted to join us but never got around to it, make sure to stop by before we begin moving things back to in-person. If you wanted to stay connected with me and all things Leather Talk, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky.